Welcome to the Wildlife Experience. This is your host, Andrew Austin. All right, guys, next up I have Joe Richards. Uh, Joe and I went to Texas A&M together, um, but we didn't end up meeting until like senior year, and uh, he actually went there all four years, and I got there kind of late. But uh, we really connected on uh, our interest in wildlife photography, and uh, it was a really great surprise seeing him at the Hunt Fish Podcast Summit as one of the guests. And uh, we had a really great conversation. Uh, we talked about how he got into um, wildlife and wildlife photography and hunting and fishing and how all of that kind of led into his uh, career now as a uh, a wildlife professional, and he is currently in grad school um, studying turkeys. And uh, so we talk all about that. And uh, all around is a great discussion with Joe, and I think you guys will enjoy it. So now I bring you Joe Richards. So I'm I'm here with Joe Richards, um, and we went to college together, and uh, hung out a little bit then. And here we are now um, at the pod, Huntfish Podcast Summit. Um, it's great, dude. It's so great to 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 see you here, man. Yeah, man. Thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be on this podcast, and I appreciate taking the time to have me on. So yeah, uh, yeah, we had a good times at A and M. We ran into each other a little bit and had a few classes together. Yeah. So you were the only other wildlife photographer I met. <laughs> although we, we never actually got out to shoot. Um, maybe we can do that here at the Warren Ranch. Yeah. Um, that it's it's funny there was you me and uh buddy adam and yeah. he he takes the pictures too but um yeah there's very few of us in the in the realm or at a m anyways right. yeah and we, we you know uh wildlife photography is is something that i feel like a lot of people um would greatly benefit from you know just learning about wildlife and if uh you know if hunting access is a little more hard a little more difficult you know just get a camera and get out and shoot mm-hmm. you know yeah, it's it's kind of my you know go to as far as an outdoor activity. I mean, my whole life I've spent um, in the outdoors doing hunting, fishing, camping. Um, but I do enjoy the photography aspect of it so much, you know, to a whole nother level, because you know it's opened so many doors for me and just gotten me access to like places I never thought I'd ever be able to go or things I'd never be able to see or record. And then you know once you have this photo of something it's just like it's your memory book of mm -hmm. all these amazing things and i tell people all the time that you know as wildlife majors we see way too many cool things to like not carry a camera i mean just on the daily regular basis like i'm always shooting photos and um i like you know with smartphones these days it's like you always have a camera available to you but i still like to carry like my regular canon camera and whenever I go in the field, it, yes, it gets heavy a lot of the times when you're walking 10 miles through brush, but <laughs> it's, um, it's still to me, is just like part of the, you know, the field work and, um, what I really, something I really get a tangible, um, product out of. Right. And it, you know, um, I, I knew I was wanting to work with wildlife from a young age. Um, but it was, I was focused on, uh, you know, stuff like snakes and, um, I didn't, I didn't find an appreciation for birds and other stuff until I got a camera because then I could go out and capture images of them and, and study them and learn about them a little bit easier because birds are just, they're harder to see and you can't pick them up like a lizard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bird photography for me is like, it's it's super fun. And I mean, because they're, they're, they are tricky, 
um, but they're colorful. They're everywhere. I mean, you can you can't go anywhere without seeing a bird. <laughs> I mean, they're just everywhere. Yeah. So, um, and like you said, like that's probably one of the, one of the things I do the least photography with is like uh, herps, like mm-hmm. reptiles, and frogs and stuff. Um, but I do enjoy looking for them, and I need to run around with like a herpetologist <laughs> just to get it just down to someday. get it down. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also specialize in like the macro photography, and that's a super um, gratifying experience because like there's you know invertebrates everywhere so you can find a grasshopper you can go in your backyard and find tons and tons of uh, this whole new micro world of uh, invertebrates so it's it's kind of a niche that I've uh, occupied for a little while that you know I learned photography through my dad uh, Dave Richards so he specializes in like white-tailed deer and big game Uh, my brother does a lot of photography as well so like growing up I saw what they were shooting um but it's cool because like when we're all together uh we take vacations together and stuff and in the outdoors and we all kind of gravitate to our own special niche and I still I'm photographing the bugs and flipping over logs and stuff looking for centipedes and you know whatever I can find that's awesome man it's got to be cool to grow up in you know family like that with your dad being such a renowned photographer Mm -hmm. in the outdoor world um, you know, and the macro photography you do, one thing that would do for me, I think is it would help me appreciate invertebrates a lot more because once you take those photos, you can go and you actually can really appreciate the colors and the morphology mm-hmm. of those, of those microorganisms, um, that, you know, it's hard, it's harder to appreciate the small stuff, but mm-hmm. when you blow it up and you, you take those photos, it really helps you appreciate them. Yeah. And, um, one of the coolest things I did while I was at A&M was like I worked at the um, in the entomology department and we had some really cool equipment that I got to play with there and it was like a microscope camera mm-hmm. and just getting to see like doing this image stacking with like some of these invertebrates and like their huge huge like specimen collections um, so I got to like had access to a lot of those specimens and I could bring my own own specimens from the field and just seeing those things under the microscope and uh, literally like you're taking photos uh, like you know hundreds of photos at one time and then the computer system like stacks them all on top of each Mm -hmm. other so you get all that like range of depth and stuff and you can you can see all the fine details and like the hairs and an antenna or like the the lenses or the ocelli and like the insects compound eye i mean it's just it it's something that you just never even imagined it's like just how cool is like the design and creation right how do you find yourself here now as a as an early career wildlife professional you know i guess part of it is you started wildlife photography your dad's a photographer but you you hunt and fish and stuff as well and yeah and and where are you from in the world so i'm from i'm born and raised in texas i've uh you know raised in bernie texas just north of san antonio and uh grew up most of the time spent in the outdoors was like going to south texas on some private ranches like the Heinz Ranch. Uh, I would go with my dad whenever he'd go photographing white-tailed deer and like I was sitting in photo blinds before I could even like see out the window. Like I was a little kid and like you're sitting in that high chair but like you still can't see outside the window and so it's like uh, my dad would be like whispering to me he's like the deer's coming in and you're like okay where? (laughs) And it's like I can't see it and like I'm just like you kind of like stand on the chair and then like I sit down and I'm like, okay, I saw it. Um, but then, 
my brother got into photography with my dad and then he ha- he gave me like his hand-me-down camera when he upgraded and then that's kind of when I started filling in um you know going on with going with them and photographing like it and when we go to ranches and when we go fishing and you know for me like photography now it's like if I get tired of you know fishing and you know not catching then I put down the pole and I can go photograph for a little bit and it's it's sort of how it's it, it adds so much to like when you're the time you're spending in outdoors for me anyways and it's just a cool way to keep a record of things yeah um and just memories and such but um it's you know a huge blessing and then growing up and doing the hunting and the fishing and the photography it's like i have no money for anything else because like those are all expensive hobbies <laughs> right yeah i've always always think that photography just it really adds so much value to any outdoor experience um and yeah i'm like you I, you know i tote my camera around everywhere and it's a, it's a way to document your finds you know um mm-hmm. i keep i use Flickr to keep kind of like a log of all the species i photograph mm-hmm because uh, I just can't post them all on Instagram. Um, <laughs> and also Flickr, you can, like, organize, like, albums. I have them broken up by ecoregion and by taxa. And oh, wow. <laughs> You're way more organized than me, man. <laughs> well, it's a lot of fun. I obsess over it sometimes. I got, yeah. Um, I have people ask me all the time. They're like, so how do you, like, organize all your photos? And I'm like, man, I'm so behind on that. <laughs> I've got, like, there was one time or when I was working in Oklahoma, I had, like, 10 camera cards I had to, like, sort through. Uh, and that was like an all-day endeavor and yeah. several days of like putting them all into files and folders and then then you get a call from somebody who's like hey i need a photo of like a a bullfrog and it has to be taken in oklahoma it's like <laughs> all right well i gotta find that <laughs> so i could be way more organized than what right. i am <laughs> so um yeah there's, there's there's so much to say about photography um i think everybody should do it to some degree Mm-hmm. I think if you're uh, an aspiring wildlife professional, I think you should, you should do it simply just to learn mm-hmm. about wildlife. It gets you engaged. Um, it, it makes the experience more enjoyable. Um, it, like, I've never even owned binoculars for really? birds. Because <laughs> since I started <laughs> birding, camera. I had a super telephoto lens, a 150 to 600. And in fact, I can actually learn much more about the birds if I get a picture even if it's a bad picture i can crop it and identify it mm-hmm. versus a fleeting glimpse with the binoculars mm-hmm. like I, I just never could learn that well out in the field you know yeah and just piggybacking on what you said it's like it is it's a it's a very active involvement engagement in the field and it does it, it requires you to sit in places and like sit in photo blinds and then like what better way to spend your time in the outdoors and like completely like concealing yourself and then just watching nature unfold in front of you and like that to me is like it's it's what hunters do Mm -hmm. i mean in photography i tell people all the time it is like a form of hunting but you aren't harvesting anything but you're you know you can shoot that big deer hundreds and hundreds of times with a camera yeah and then you still got the deer and you got the trophy on the wall like the picture oh yeah still you still get a trophy there's still that you know, huge gratification that you, you were able to stock up to this deer, you were able to see, you know, his behavior. Mm -hmm. And I mean, really photographer, wildlife photographers are students of animal behavior and we interpret behavior all the time. Uh, And when you spend a lot of time, you know, like I have, or like you have uh, photographing these species, you pick up on like all the little cool things that they do. And it's like, you get to, you start to learn. It's like, all right, you 
you see a deer and a young like two and a half year old deer and he's he's looking in the brush like 10 times he's scared like he knows there's another you know there's another deer about to walk out like any second and he's bigger than him because he's nervous i mean you can want you get to see all these neat uh behaviors that you know not many people in our field really get to see yeah. ever i mean i've talked to lots of biologists and stuff and it's like how often do you get into the field and just get to to watch deer or like get to watch turkeys or something and it's it's very very few yeah. really have that access and those opportunities and so you know they don't they don't know a lot about that i've had a lot of cool experiences with ducks which ducks have lately for me have been kind of characterized my life and i love duck hunting and it's uh it's, it's a lot of fun and you know it's, but my most profound experiences are are i'm sitting you know last uh December I was sitting on this little oxbow off the Colorado River in central Texas and I'd scare the ducks out and they came back after like two hours I laid there waiting for them Mm -hmm. set up in the brush and there's pintail and green wings swimming five yards from me and they didn't know I was there they were completely wild if if you have ducks in an urban pond that are habituated it's just not the same Mm -hmm. these wild ducks going about their daily lives calling you know within five to ten yards I was Mm -hmm. shooting them with a 70 to 200 millimeter Mm, wow <laughs> they're so close <laughs> and like experiences like that are, are like more special in a different way than any hunt i've ever been on mm-hmm. you know just watching them behave like really observing duck behavior like you entering their world like mm-hmm. that was so special i don't ha- i don't have enough of, of those experiences mm-hmm. you have those all the time with deer i'm assuming you really enter yeah. their world oh yeah we see i mean and sitting in those, some of those pop-up lines, like there's no telling what you can see. Yeah, not just and deer. Not just deer. All I mean, sorts of you could have bobcat walk out. You could have, I mean, countless birds. I mean, that you know, if you got feed, seeds around your uh, pop-up or like at a water hole, man, there's no telling what you could see. Um, and that just just adds to the element of like surprise. And you know, it's you know, it's a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um, and you know. I was just, it came to mind. It's like, you know, in, in one of the other podcasts I did at the summit with uh, Chester Moore, he asked me what my favorite thing to photograph is or one of my favorite things. And it's like, well, there's so many. Um, but one of the coolest things I've gotten to photograph over the last like two years has been lesser prairie chickens in Texas mm-hmm. and New Mexico. And that has been, it's been super, super amazing. Yeah. Cause it's, when you're sitting in a pop-up blind and you're you're in the sand dunes and stuff of uh, West Texas, Northwest Texas, and you you're, it's pitch dark and you start to hear these prairie chickens flying in on the lek, and it's it's eerie and it's something that I've never had I never had any other experience like that because these chickens just start showing up out of nowhere and they start cackling and they start booming and then you hear them stomping their feet in the sand and just like challenging each other and booming it's just so cool um it's one, still one of like it's still got memories in my mind and i got recordings of the calls and like i just play them occasionally like just randomly i'm like feeling oh, down man. one day just <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i'm like i just gotta listen to a prairie chicken <laughs> and you really capitalized on those photos too you, you know a special moment you got some really amazing photos thanks man yeah, yeah. it's it's something that, you know, and then with all the stuff that's been going on with uh, their listing and everything, it's maybe something we never do again. Right. Um, so it's, I'm so blessed that we got to do it for the small amount of time that we do. It's like 
one weekend out of the whole year. Yeah. Uh, and they, you know, they boom only for like about a month and like, that's it. And there's so few of them left in Texas that it just makes it even more special. Right. I can imagine having an experience like that with an Atwater prairie chicken. Yeah. In Southeast <laughs> Texas. That'd be I've been there too. Incredible. I've seen them there, but they're, it was like a hen flying. It's like a fleeting glimpse. Yeah. A bird that was in a zoo the year before, probably. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a cool place in yeah. itself, but like, yeah, it's, it was the first time I went there. It was like, you see that orange dot out there? Yeah, that's a prairie chicken. It was like a mile away. And I'm like, yeah. and as a photographer, that was just like, you're like just shaking and you're like, can mm. we get any closer? That's that is <laughs> the most difficult part, even when you have a good telephoto lens, is you, you really have to get very close to mm-hmm. your subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with my 600 millimeter, for me to get the kind of photos I really like of waterfowl and, you know, any, and really anything, um, I need them like, I need them at like 40 yards at least. Yeah. To get that like a really sharp image. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, you can work with further, but closer the better mm-hmm. yeah. yeah definitely the closer the better and um, even when you're too close like when i'm shooting a 500 with you know at a white-tailed deer and he gets within 20 yards it's like man he's too close That'll and then yeah, that can then you start you photo focus. you photograph things like their eye and okay. like their the yeah. detail and their detail on their hair and like yeah. their antlers i love looking at the texture of antlers because um, there's so much there and like you just fill the frame yeah shoot what you got uh, yeah what what is ha- what has been the most uh, that that prairie chicken experience be up there for the most incredible experience you've had photographing wildlife? Definitely one of the most unique experiences yeah. uh, that will I'll remember for the rest of my life. Um, you know, some of the other things I've been very blessed to travel around and photograph in different places. But you know, whenever I'm on like a done a lot of summer interning Mm. um in different states like colorado and oklahoma and and in texas but just carrying my camera around like for those experiences um like when i was in colorado uh we did like a one day we did like an eight mile hike looking for dropped elk collars that had um we had deactivated so we had to go pick them Mm. up in the in the mountains but you know after like an eight mile hike i was still carrying my camera i was like man this is just such a long day but then this um, dusky grouse just like jumped oh, up on a yeah. on a log, and just started going to town like strutting and uh, making his calls and everything. And I was just like, "Thank you, God! <laughs> like I really needed that, and <laughs> I really needed a break." <laughs> One of my favorite photos that you've taken was a uh, was a turkey, in the I guess the poults in a tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Those was. Chicks. I can't remember. It was just an amazing photograph. That was in the Rolling in Plains yeah. and uh, on the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. Yeah. That was, that was really neat. That was really special. I had, um, I literally just set up a pop-up blind in, uh, one of the, it's the double T pasture and it's just, all it is, is just mesquite and it's kind of like a control pasture for that area or that research ranch. And, you know, we, I'd seen turkeys like maybe twice in there and I was like, oh, I might see a turkey, but I was really looking for like quail and stuff. Um, and then that turkey hen jumped into the tree and I was like, oh, that's something. Hmm. And then just all of a sudden it was like pult flies up there. And another pole flies up there. And then a third pole flies up in the tree with her. And I was like, okay, this just got really interesting. And then, yeah, and like I'd never seen it before and anything else, but like the, one of the poles jumped on the back of the hen and just was just chilling there. I was just like, man, that's just crazy. Incredible. So one of those, you know, once in a lifetime moments, probably uh, again, 
that I'm just so glad I had a camera because um, there's so many other moments. It's like you don't carry a camera, you don't have your your batteries dead or something, and something cool like that happens, and it happens all the time. Right. <laughs> What's a major destination for you? Photography destination? Interna- mm. Is it something international? Or? Mm, you know, that's a tough one. I was just talking about this at breakfast this morning, but I really want to go to the um, Akavengo Delta in Botswana because yep. I've just heard crazy things about the wildlife there and you know the species diversity there mm. is um, unmatched in Af- Africa. Uh, and I would always love to go like tiger fish fishing, mm. <laughs> and that's like one of the the places to do that. Yeah. Um, I've still never been to like South America though. Uh, there's lots of places there I could see, see going and having an amazing time. Uh, I see some photographers that they do the international workshops and I'm like, that that would be a really nice like additional income while taking photos and like yeah. that would be really cool. What exactly is that again? International workshop you said? Mm-hmm, like a international photography workshop. So like they like a travel agency like may hire a photographer oh, and then they send them down and they, they, they like book the whole trip right. for like people and like it's people that just want to you know, go out and photograph, spend time in the outdoors, but like kind of like, you know, it can go all the way from like, we're camping in the outdoors or we're like staying at a fine resort or something. Birding tour or something. A birding tour. Yeah. Yeah. Ecotourism. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Places like Costa Rica, South Africa. I mean, lots of places do those kind of tours and, um, that would be, that's kind of like a dream career situation. It's like, I would love to, you know, work as like my bio in a biologist position or like working for a state or federal agency or something. But if you had that as like an additional, additional thing. Um, you know, additional income for yeah. sure. And a passion <laughs> thing, you know, mm-hmm. have you thought much about Australia? You know, um, Australia would be really cool. That's a long plane ride. It is. Uh, I was <laughs> but, supposed to go in February and I was, it's going to like the plane. I was going through a booking company. I bought tickets oh, uh, wow. for $1,200. Not very expensive. Wow. Usually they're like 5,000, but, mm-hmm. um, they're like flight of fly from Houston to San Francisco, San Francisco to Hawaii, Hawaii to Fiji, Fiji to Australia, <laughs> break it up into like four flights that mm-hmm. way. Cause like the, the one flight there would scare me like that 24 mm-hmm. hour haul. I don't know if I could last that long. <laughs> I'd rather stop in Hawaii and take a break. Yeah. At least but, change uh, planes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. how does a plane even have fuel for that long? <laughs> I hate flying in general. So, but, um, mm-hmm. Australia is, uh, behind my list. Because of like stuff like cassowaries and uh, the fairy fairy wrens and all these, like a whole new cast of characters in Australia that are so different than anything else in in the world. Mm-hmm. Her birds and herps and plants and oh yeah, a completely it's new just, environment. It's a, it's like the closest thing to an alien world that you can get <laughs> that we know of as far as just you know going into a place where everything's so new. You know, mm-hmm. there's tree ferns there. Like entire forests of ferns. Mm-hmm. Just, anyway, I've been uh, I've been uh, looking a lot at New Zealand lately, New Zealand too, yeah. um, just because of uh, some of the hunts that they do mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And and like if you, I would have always wanted to like partner with like a an outfitter and you know someone who does like these trips. And if if a client wanted like a f- photo book or a memory book of like right. their hunt or experience, right. like I'd be like, yeah, I can I can take photos and take carry bags hunting. and. Yeah. You know, I'm a great mingler, traveler. <laughs> yeah, there's so many cool places in the world to to go photograph wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I love uh, Alaska too. That was a yep. really fun family trip that I got to do with um, a whole family. And, you know, we kind of broke it up into like, we were with an outfitter. Um, we were taking photos of his facilities, his lodges. And at the same time we were, if it was like a rainy, you know, dreary day, we went on the river and we fished uh, for salmon. And then when we had some good light and good sunny days, which up there in the summer, you know, like the lights, like it's 20 hours of light. So it's pretty cool. The golden hour lasts like six hours. Mm. And nice. you can, we went to like Brooks Falls and Katmai and we got to photograph the bears in the salmon run. And that was a really neat experience. Like when you're sitting at the falls and like trying to time <laughs> the salmon jumping into the bear's mouths, it's like, it's just super cool. I mean, it took, I took thousands and thousands of pictures. <laughs> but that was a, a lot of fun going through all that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the processing was something to bear. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed those photos a lot of the bear feeding. Um, was it, was it nerve-wracking at all, being in real bear country the first time? You know... Um, we're Texans, and all our bears are basically gone. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was definitely a little nerve-wracking, because, like, you're literally when you you arrive at Katmai and then you get like your little bear orientation and they're like, yeah, you just step off to the side of the trail and bears have the right of way. And it's like, yeah, no duh. <laughs> um, but, um, like literally you're sharing the trails with bears, like gigantic brown bears. That's and crazy. like, you just get off the trail and like bear walks by. You're like, yeah, I could have reached out and touched this thing. Um, so obviously you don't but they're used to people in some of those areas yeah i'd say they're very used to people and and they have that rich bad i guess it depends on the context i guess yeah they have that rich food source so i guess they aren't really focused on people but they're going fishing man yeah you hope they're going fishing fishing. (laughs) there was one day we were there that the salmon really hadn't kick-started yet and so there was like 40 bears at the falls like at the falls not even like counting the surrounding rivers and stuff we saw just 40 bears there and it was cool because you know the bears were all hungry um they were waiting for those salmon to run and they were so we saw lots of neat behaviors and like lots of fights actually so that made me a little nervous because it's right. like man like salmon aren't running going. yeah these bears are angry but in two days the salmon were running and like the totally different change yeah. of behavior like there was only like six bears at the falls and like everybody i guess every other bear was full <laughs> Give us one more cool photography experience, and let's move on to biology stuff. <laughs> um, I guess South Africa. That South was Africa a really cool, yeah. really cool experience. Um, I got to go on this student experience this literally this last um, August, and we got to drive around with uh, ornithologists and herpetologists and uh, the people at the game preserve, and you know that's just like a, it was totally new to me like to see the management styles in south africa for wildlife management um but getting to ride around with those professionals and then just kind of hear them talk about the species and Mm. the behaviors that they've observed and it's like i'm i'm completely um in the dark as far as like what all these animals do and um you know just having that personal one-on-one experience and then carrying the camera too i was like i was carrying it everywhere i went (laughs) But the coolest thing I photographed there, I think, was a uh, greater kudu. Okay. Um, and that was like the shot of like the shot of a lifetime for me because I had imagined like I want a kudu that's got the sun behind it and like mm-hmm. you know the glowing golden light, golden light and mm-hmm. stuff. And literally like as we were pulling back up the hill, um, almost done with our drive, 
there's this giant kudu bull just standing there and i was just like stop the car <laughs> um you know as kindly as possible but also with like a great deal of urgency i was like stop the car and uh we got to watch this bull kudu for like five minutes and it was great um shot of a lifetime moment of a lifetime yeah. i was like and that was like on our second day and i was like man like we're this is great i can relax <laughs> The, the, the high you get from those experiences for me last, you know, weeks sometimes. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, yeah. And I guess I've already kind of alluded to this, but I think I do think firmly that my most incredible experiences in the outdoors have been photography related, mm -hmm. not, not hunting related or anything else. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like these special moments where you get a once in a lifetime shot, you know? Yeah. It's, um, I think there's a whole lot to be said about that yeah. because, you know, kind of relating back to the hunting, you know, photography is a form of hunting yeah. just without the harvest. Just without but the harvest, yeah. photographers have to be conscious of like so many other elements mm -hmm. that a hunter, you know, doesn't usually like the direction of the light, you know, the composition of the landscape, the elements in a landscape, you know, you can't, you don't want to have that one blade of grass in their face that could ruin a shot. Yeah. Um, and you got to know your camera settings you got to know your equipment uh, how the animal is going to react to that equipment and so there's a lot of things that like you know we have to consider that yeah. maybe a hunter doesn't but right. we also have to be conscious of what a hunter thinks yeah and when you know both of us occupy both sides of that so they kind of they're complementary in a way mm -hmm. um do you uh you follow matt buckingham right on, i do on, yeah don't you mm -hmm. appreciate his his very unique yeah composition and way of photographing wildlife he does he does a lot of neat landscape photography yeah. and Landscapes. that's something i still am not very good at and i think he, he also does an, an incredible job explaining what it is he's photographing yeah. to a point where it's like this is the ecological context yeah. of the landscape that i'm in and it's like wow like most people would just look at that and see like i see a plant <laughs> and but I, you don't know the the, the historical and like the right. ecological the importance stuff. yeah it's like it's it's really cool yeah. um natural history you know he's yeah. a natural history buff for sure yeah I just, anytime i talk about wildlife photography i think about matt because he's uh, inspired me a lot mm -hmm. i'm sure you have similar people in your circles well your dad for one my dad for one <laughs> um for sure who got me started uh i always like looking at like the photography by like wyman menzer okay yeah. uh, he was a great inspiration too and some of his like his writings too about yeah. wildlife and you know again those going back to those observing behaviors mm -hmm. and then photographing behaviors and like that's kind of that's always something i'm i'm building all the time it's like i want to build like a a book of like all these different behaviors right. of like a certain species right um and you know that's that takes a ton of time um and wyman yeah. just came out with his new book uh, about predator calling and mm -hmm. the art of predator calling and it's it's a really good book have you seen it mm -mm. no it's really cool uh, I've learned so much just reading it and then seeing the images too. It's been super cool because it's like, you know, we, we tend to like, we get a blurry image or something and it's like, oh, well, that's trash. But, um, why, I mean, he explains it so well. It's like, you look at like a blurry image of a coyote. I mean, and he goes into so much depth about, you know, the motion in a picture, mm. um, you know, the, the feel and the emotion and a picture can stir and it's like you know don't throw those away those are actually yeah. really really if cool they may not up, be right. they may not be perfect to some people but yeah. they they offer a really cool explanation of like yeah. look at how a coyote runs it's a little more abstract than what the typical you know eyes got to be in focus oh yeah be framed up feel you know feel the frame mm -hmm. 
I'm, I'm a stickler about that stuff for my own photography. Yeah, I I'm a... be more artistic. <laughs> I'm a very, you know, I'm probably my biggest critiquer in yeah. photography. And yeah. so, and, and to say that it doesn't come with frustration, it would be a lie. Yeah. <laughs> it can be extremely frustrating sometimes yeah. when you don't get the shot that you were imagining or, you, you know, there's so much work that goes involved in like setting up a, a photo blind and brushing a photo blind, getting that perfect limb in the light. And you're like, all right, a green jay is going to land right here in this, uh, this we satch and it's going to be beautiful and nothing ever does. That's and it's like, Oh, that was humbling. How's the Mac, the macro photography is different. You can, you control your ver your light variables, but then you're dealing with very difficult subjects. Mm -hmm. I've done it with herps mainly and uh, trying to like pose a snake or a lizard or a turtle or a or a toad or a frog that can frustrate the hell out of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I Insects. Like you know, photographing beetles. ants, man. Oh. Ants are insane. And like, they don't stink. They don't stay still for like yeah. a second. And to try and focus on an ant, you basically have to bait them, yeah. uh, put like a little sugar water or Makes syrup sense. or something. And then, then you can, get them to stay still at least for a second yeah. um but yeah there's tons of insects like they don't they don't cooperate very well <laughs> still yeah. wild animals you, you can control a lot of the variables but then it's yeah it's, it's still hard in its own right mm -hmm. um so your wildlife photography um career and your you know growing up doing that and hunting and fishing kind of just naturally led you down a path of becoming a wildlife biologist mm -hmm. is that something you knew you wanted to do or pretty early on or Pretty early on when I found out that that was like a career path. Mm. Um, originally, you know, I think I went through kind of the what most people go through. It's like, I want to be a zookeeper. Uh, and it's <laughs> or like a veterinarian. This, yeah, I, that was never really on the table for okay. me. I was like, that was too much. Too much uh, yeah. You know, I didn't really want to work with dogs and cats. But mm. um, zoo animals were my first peak interest. I love zoos. Um, and so going to like the San Antonio Zoo was like a huge thing. And so I worked there for a w little while as a summer naturalist in high school and then as a docent and then um, a little had a like a summer job there for a little while running the butterfly house and giraffe feedings and stuff. So it was cool. I mm. mean, interpreting animal behavior and um, working with education and outreach was super cool. Um, but it confirmed I didn't want to work in a zoo yeah. full time. Just kind of you're just stuck. You're stuck. The days are monotonous. Yeah. It's the same daily routine all the time. Like you, you are, you have a lot of cool interactions with, mm -hmm. with zoo guests and stuff. Um, but they were, they were far and few in between. You get like one guest a day who was like excited about whooping crane conservation. Yep. And you're like, you're awesome. Like, I wish there were more like you that like, listen to me talk. And yep. you know, but I think, uh, overall it was just kind of, it was like a, an awakening. I was like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't what I'm going to do full time. So then, uh, when I, you know, found out that A&M had a wildlife program, uh, cause that's where I went when, you know, we went to A&M yeah. and, uh, I th first I thought, okay, well, zoology, that sounds like a cool program. It sounds like right up my alley. So I had like a visit with like the zoology department and I was kind of like, mm, like I told them what I was expecting out of like their program. And they're like, you don't want to, you want to go to wildlife management and wildlife sciences. And it's like down the hall. Um, and so my first meeting and was at Nagel hall uh, on campus. Was it really? Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, I was in that building maybe like three times and you. then we moved uh, to the new wildlife building 
um, on West Campus. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of cool. I was like, I was in that building, then the I, new I building. Got in, I got in late. I never got to go to the that, that hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first meeting was with Fajin in, yeah. in Nagel Hall. So, yeah, it was. But then after talking to him and talking to uh, our advisors and several people, like you know, who had careers in biology and stuff, I was like, yeah, like wildlife management. That sounds like a really interesting career. And I think it also, like it, like you said, it complements photography. Mm-hmm very well um and i think it will continue to complement it you know throughout my career and yeah. i think it will only you know continue to expand my opportunities and you know um help me cope with everything in the field <laughs> yeah. yeah um what's i gonna say um did you ever think you wanted to be a full-time wildlife photographer at any point along the way or is that something that was out of reach you thought or well it's just it's so it's incredibly tough. hard yeah. for like for to make it a full-time mm-hmm. commitment i mean if you you know i tip my hat to everyone who was yeah. successful in it because it is extremely hard i um, shoot a couple weddings here and there to make ends meet yeah <laughs> it's like trade-off. there's i mean you really do you have yeah. to be well versed in lots yeah. of lots of different photography types you have to be open to those experiences mm-hmm. um i don't photograph weddings i'm too yeah. scared but um you know, it also helps like if you are a good writer mm. and being able to um, present that skill set along with your photography. So for like magazines and stuff, but, you know, even magazines these days do not hire like full time photographers. Very rarely yeah, they, they do. All their stuff is freelance right. or they get it themselves. Right. So um, that's what's made it such a difficult field, I think, for there's very little stability. Right. Um, and, you know, you can have you know, good connections. And I think that's what it takes, especially, and it takes that in the wildlife field, having a good network of people, um, of professionals. And then I think it also helps, especially like in photography, cause you got to have landowner access, especially in Texas, cause of all of its private land, you got to have, you know, connections with media, with the newspapers or magazines or webs, you know, get your stuff out there you have to have a very strong social media presence nowadays um that's almost like required um so and that's still something that i i struggle with all the time it's like (laughs) trying to trying to commit myself to like posting every day or like trying to promote the promote the website promote the the photos and it's like it's a full-time job Mm. i mean i I like um where I'm at with wildlife photography and uh, a wildlife career is that they do complement each other and, you know, you get cool opportunities to, you know, go on a, go assist with research, but you know, maybe you got bring your camera along and you provide photos and next thing you know, your, your photos are in publications or mm-hmm. uh, in magazines or mm-hmm. I don't know if you've experienced some of that, some of the different yeah. organizations you've worked with or research you've done, like you'll take photos that end up on the cover of a magazine or mm-hmm. it's I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten many cover shots and that's, but that's always well, something I haven't that, actually had a cover either, but yeah, <laughs> and in magazines, it's, though. it's tough. It's yeah. tough to, to build those connections with editors and stuff that yeah. they really, they ask you for materials and stuff and mm-hmm. like you send your stuff and then they still go with somebody else's right. or something else, something else differently entirely. Um, but it is, it is extremely satisfying to yeah. have your work published. And I at mean, all, yeah. At all, yeah. And that's, what's, that's what kind of keeps fueling me. And, like, when you get that one quarter-inch quarter, quarter inch photo in, like, the corner of a magazine, it's, like, it's still awesome. Yeah. Um, but then they misspell your name or something, <laughs> which has happened a lot. And yeah. it just it continues to happen. It's just something you just got to 
let it let it run off your back like water off a bu- duck's back. So it's whatever it is, and you know it's it's also very little pay. You know it's not yeah. a, it's not a high you know high revenue stream, <laughs> and it's it's very little pay, um, and, and it's hard. Yeah, and it, it takes a lot of self motivation to continue you know sending stuff to editors and continuing right. those relationships, even if they don't uh, really feed back. It's like you get very little feedback sometimes and right. that's what's that can be really frustrating um back to wildlife biology um how did you enjoy your experience at AM studying wildlife i really enjoyed it um i think the greatest thing that came out of it was all the networking i was mm-hmm. able to do um all the friendships i was able to make that are you know still going to be lifelong lasting um and i think the one of the best things um that I did in college was I got involved with the um, Texas chapter of the Wildlife Society mm-hmm. and the A&M student chapter of the Wildlife Society because you know we can we can go to school we can do all the academia and you can make you know perfect straight A's and stuff but uh, then you get out of there and like you have a degree but you don't have experience um, and so that's what the student chapter really provided me was you know the avenue and the channels to get experience in the wildlife field and that's all the more valuable. I mean, going and volunteering with uh, parks and wildlife biologists on a prescribed burn um, or going to a, a chronic wasting disease checkpoint and just visiting with, you know, hunters and visiting with biologists and, you know, learning what they do on the daily. But it also opened up doors to do some really cool things like deer captures and waterfowl captures, um, going to state parks and like doing habitat restoration and maintenance and, you know, all these really cool things that I never even thought about when I was like applying for college and was like, yeah, this is the stuff I'm going to get to do for the next four years. And that's, I think that really doing more and going beyond the academics is really what it takes in this field. You have to show that you have initiative and you have to show you have that relative experience and that work ethic uh, and a good attitude that supports it. And I think that's really what, um, it promotes people, you know, it shows initiative. Yeah. Well, I will say, um, being that we went to, we we're in basically the same, I guess, undergrad cohort, you were like the all-star student. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you were really a standout. Um, and uh, you're, yeah, you, you were a leader in the Wildlife Society. I can't remember what, but you were. Yeah, I was, uh, I was a conclave chair my yeah. sophomore year, so like quiz bowl. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I was a president the next year. I got you, yeah. So. One of my regrets about college is I didn't make the time to get involved as much. I went to a couple meetings and, you know, met you and uh, made some friends. But um, I guess there's still time to get involved. You know, there's still, yeah. there's still Texas chapter and stuff. But oh, yeah. It's such a great organization. Everybody I know that's involved has so much good to say about it. Yeah, that that's really, too, is another key component of what happened, and that's uh, something that it provided is the opportunity to network at, like, a Texas chapter conference, right. and then that's where you really open the doors to, to meeting people, professionals right. in the field, and it's like, and everybody knows everybody in this field, and it's crazy how small it is, but, like, how well-connected it is. Yeah. Um, from So people from across the state know know each other they know what each what everyone does where they went to school um it can be nerve-wracking for sure like when for people that are just stepping into it it's like well man like everyone here knows everyone and that mm. that's intimidating it is, I, yeah. it's you very feel like an outsider yeah. yeah i mean but 
what I tell people at conferences too is like, I'm like, if you see me talking to somebody and you don't know who I'm talking to, like just walk up and yeah. just like, just say, Hey, and yeah. I'll be like, Hey, <laughs> I'll introduce you to who I'm talking to. And yeah. like, then we can carry a conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, if I look at you, like, what's your name? Like, <laughs> Introduce yourself. <laughs> Cause yeah. I can't remember everybody's name. I have a horrible exactly. memory sometimes. Yeah. But. You remember all the Latin names, scientific names, but then you can't remember someone's first name. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, I may remember you from like, hey, you were with Deer Capture. <laughs> you know, but... yeah. or I remember people by their Instagram usernames often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never yeah. met them in person. It's <laughs> kind of funny. We... You're a wild, so... you're, uh, yeah, you're, you're a wild outdoor man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I, I think when I met Adam, uh, I thought of him by his, his Instagram username or something. It was, I oh, felt yeah. embarrassed. Uh, that's happened multiple <laughs> times, though. Or I can't remember somebody's name. I remember them from their username on Instagram. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. What's your What was your favorite class? Wildlife class. I didn't know. Ooh. Hmm. I really enjoyed mammalogy. Really, that was a really interesting class. Like I learned a lot, mm. and you know, I think um, I liked the teaching style of that class as well, and I liked the lab. Uh, the lab was super interesting to me because we got to handle all of the different uh, specimens from like the biological research teaching center and um, you know tangible things that we got to do like don't get me wrong like I probably failed the rodents quiz or the, <laughs> the rodent section and stuff like I forgot what a squirrel was basically I looked at the skull and I was like what is this it's like it's I have no idea <laughs> you know, you, my mind just went blank but um, it was still a really cool uh, lab, and the tests were hard. But, yeah. um, you know, I do think I also had, like, a different experience because of COVID. Hmm. Um, so there yeah. were classes that I probably took during COVID that I would have enjoyed a lot more Same. had it not been over Zoom. Because yeah. um, that is I'm, – I'm not a good online learner. I'm not either. I like in person. I like asking questions and, and being physically there. So – I do think we were kind of robbed on our experience as far as uh, classes go yeah. and the, the teaching style, but, you know, something I, that couldn't be avoided. My last three semesters were kind of ruined by COVID. Mm-hmm. It's my last semester. We kind of, we started to go back in class. I guess it was like spring 21. Mm-hmm. Kind of started to go back in person, but it was still kind of sketchy. Yeah. Um, Definitely but, a different uh, college experience I never yeah. had anticipated. Those last two years really were uh, interesting. So we had that, and then we had the snow apocalypse <laughs> that occurred as well. Uh, yeah, twenty twenty, I guess. That was cool that though, was because one of the coolest things that came out of that was you know our we were having rolling blackouts. We were you know everybody was kind of secluded to their home and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the the wildlife society at that time, you know, we have the big group me. Um, the chat or whatever that mm-hmm. everyone can text in. I think I'm and still in that chat. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> I haven't looked at it. I'm about to look at it right now. <laughs> See what's being said. It's like, I just, I like to know what's, what's going on. We should send um, a picture uh, in the chat right now. Oh, <laughs> heck yeah. Um, but in that chat, it was cool to see like during the snowpocalypse, uh, people, everybody in that, in the group was like, Hey, like I have power. Like if, if you guys need power, like, or need something like plug in your phone or whatever, come to my house Hmm. safely, you know, don't, don't try to go break the icy roads. And, uh, but if you can get here safely, come and like 
some people were like, yeah, I have food. Like if you guys are in a worse situation than I am, yeah. like come and get food. And yeah. just to see that, remember, yeah. that community in students and like students that like barely knew each other at mm. the time. Cause like we were just starting that semester. And I mean, that it, it spoke to me, like, this is the wildlife field. Yeah. Like if people caring for other people and, uh, something that it's like, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that before in yeah. like a small group of friends or like in, in a, in like a professional group setting. Oh. That group chat, that was like <laughs> the center of the wildlife and fisheries program. Like before everybody <laughs> talked, like the wildlife society was like, cause there's other wild, like conservation societies at A&M. There's yeah. Society for conservation biology. There's like one or two Fishery more. Society. Fisheries society. Mm-hmm. Like the wildlife one, the, wild, the wildlife society. It's like the cool kid group, <laughs> I felt like, um, in, in wildlife and fisheries. Um, well, that's the first time in my life I've been, like, part of the cool club. So. <laughs> and, 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 like, we're still nerding out over, like, plants and animals. Yeah. It's like, I, I saw a hexagenia today. <laughs> um, you've done some cool internships and jobs. Um, do you want to talk about any of that? Like, you know, sure. Sometimes. I mean, um, yeah. Like the Rolling Plains research thing was cool yeah i've been very blessed to work on some really cool internships um some in state some out of state uh the the ones that were really impactful were like my first internship was at the rolling plains quail research ranch um and that's near roby texas and it's kind of like 45 minutes north of abilene um it's really really cool research ranch and they just got a new headquarters actually so i was just down there a few weeks ago and got to see that uh, see how it's all changed and stuff. And I'm like, man, like it's bougie now. Like y'all got a new headquarters and new facility. Um, so it was really cool. I need to ride around the ranch again and, uh, need to take them up on some offers to go photograph out there. But talking about the photography, I rode around on that internship, like did a lot of radio telemetry during the day, looking for quail. We did covey, covey counts or uh, call counts uh, in the mornings and raptor surveys, small mammal trapping, stuff like that. Um, but during like, you know, after hours, uh, I had, you know, Ranger that I could fill up with you know, gas and drive around a private ranch the whole time cool. and yeah. right during the golden, golden hour. And that was super cool. Cause just drive around looking for stuff. I mean, pick up rattlesnakes and horny toads and, um, look for, uh, quail and mm-hmm. pretty much anything that was out there. So I just take pictures. Uh, what's really cool is that they've, I gave them a lot of those photos after my internship to use in their annual reports for website usage, yep. uh, social media, and they continue to use them to this day. Uh, Super which cool. Is, it's a cool it's, contribution to have, you know. Yeah, like leaving an impact, like mm-hmm. after, you, you know, that was three years ago and they're still using stuff today, yeah. which is like really cool. And um, it's just, it's nice to see your work being appreciated like that. Yeah. And uh, especially with like quail and stuff. Um, I got some really cool quail pictures out there. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so I also worked in Colorado with an elk calf project and got to um, experience like an out-of-state internship, which, yeah. you know, for anyone who's in this field, I really highly recommend you try to get out-of-state or try to go for like those other employment opportun- opportunities just to experience, you know, what it feels like, that independence, you know, mm-hmm. to, to live somewhere else for a little while and experience, you know, a different state. Um, it was really cool. I mean, it's, you know, a whole new environment that I got to play around with my camera and I got to meet new people. Uh, I got to work with a whole new game species that like I never even dreamed of working with. So, 
uh, we got to go and uh, radio call our elk calves in the mountains. And <laughs> it's pretty incredible. It was super, super fun, man. I mean, just like you, you were getting paid to hike <laughs> and go paid to go hike around uh, and find elk and yeah. glass mountains and stuff, which is super, super cool. Um, and in the off time, like we were, you know, five minutes from the Yampa River and we could uh, go fishing, you know, and stuff, which is, you know, it's a dream. Yeah. Um, and then the last one is the most recent one I've done was in Oklahoma working with wild turkeys. And that one was just kind of on a whim. I was like just talking, I was talking to people about master's positions and like what kind of research studies were out there and, um, you know, what was available at the time because I was looking. And I got in touch with some people at OSU, um, Oklahoma State University, and they had an opening for a technician on a turkey project. And I was like, well, OSU was at the time, it was a school I was looking at for a master's. And I was like, well, it would never hurt to just go work for work for uh, another school and, you know, work for another on another game species that I was super interested in, like wild turkeys. So I got a ton of cool experience out of that. I mean, got to use rocket nets to catch uh, eastern turkeys and got to ban them. We got to draw blood and for DNA purposes, disease study. And, you know, then we got to monitor the nest and catch pults, uh, monitor their survival. So, I mean, all kinds of really cool um, projects within yeah. a project and um, all that, you know, really great experience that I think will, it's going to apply to the masters that I'm in right now yeah. is for, so, for wild Turkey. So now you're doing your masters at Texas tech. Mm-hmm. Yep, and got it's uh, it's turkeys, but you're also like tied to that is you know doing uh, research on arthropods. Yep, some uh, sorts for sure. And we're we're looking at how like the different arthropod communities are in influencing turkey habitat selection, and mm -hmm. we want to know are they using invertebrates coming from the Llano River and in Junction and in the hill country. Um, so it's all kind of research that has never really been documented before. Mm -hmm. So um, we're sampling the river, the riparian areas, the upland areas for these different arthropod communities. And then we're going to compare that to what are the turkeys eating. So we're going to use fecal samples, um, meta barcoding, DNA analysis, and um, probably like crop samples from harvested birds that we get right. donated to by hunters. Um, we're going to see what kind of, what kind of arthropods are they eating in this right. habitat, but based on what is available versus what are they selecting for? I got you. It seems like game species have characterized your career up to, up to this point <laughs> yeah a lot of people take the other route or, or some people do both um you say you've worked with quail turkey and turkeys and, and elk, and elk so yeah all games you'll, you'll stick with the game species trend probably probably Going probably yeah. i mean i'm i'm open to pretty anything, much anything yeah. there's just a lot more job opportunities with the game species generally speaking there's usually a lot more funding <laughs> yeah, a lot more funding yeah it's uh so there's a lot of projects and dilemma. a lot of interest in like these umbrella species right. and but I'm open to lots of different animal yeah. species of you know whatever conservation concern right. prairie chickens I think would be a really cool study species because yeah. um, that's just a species that's now uh, I'm very passionate about right you mentioned umbrella species that that's something that you know I often think about but sometimes I it kind of gets lost in my mind because like man we have all these conservation problems and uh you know, we, we can't be so narrowly focused on saving one species or another. we got to look at it from an ecosystem perspective. But, mm -hmm. in fact, when you conserve habitat for quail, you're conserving entire grassland communities. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Yeah, for sure. It all ties in. And it's, you got to find a species that people love and want to throw money at. <laughs> then you can save, you can save that, 
you know, that uh, endangered uh, lizard that's in that same habitat or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And for sure, I mean, it's all about how you present it and it's yeah. like, what, you know, your study species might be one thing, but it's like you're also impacting all these other species at the yeah. same time. Kind of like with my master's project, it's like not many people are going to throw funding at uh, learning about arthropods. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't even, no one cares. But if you connect that to turkeys, it's like, well, what are the arthropods that are critical to like the, the growth and development of like a turkey pole? You know, that's stuff that, you know, needs research on and uh, that would be valuable information to a landowner. It's like, well, if you know that something's coming from this river or something in that field is going to be influencing your turkey reproduction, then why not manage for it? Right. Do turkeys mainly eat um, insects? There's well, a lot um, of other it's arthropods that they eat. Their diet is very age age um, dependent, and so like when they're one to two weeks old, they almost almost only consume arthropods. So it's a lot of like grasshoppers. Yeah. So in the yeah with the literature, it's mostly grasshoppers, um, orthoptera, yeah. um, a lot of ground beetles, mm. and you know other other insects that are at ground level for them to find um but i would say some of the, with the some of the literature reading that i've been doing recently it's like we don't know um entirely like what the poults are eating because a lot of the sampling methods that we've used in the past are not able to detect like soft-bodied insects i got you so like for example like caterpillars and larva larva and stuff we don't we don't know what stage of the insect they're eating all these in Mm. and you know we don't know as like as a a caterpillar is going to be perfect food for a quail chick or i mean for a turkey chick because heck it's it's full of protein and it's super digestible Mm. um because you think about all these hard-bodied insects with their chitin and stuff like that's really hard for a little Mm -hmm. chick to digest it's Mm -hmm. gonna sit in his crop all day uh you know he might digest it but um turkeys do um the adults consume a lot of plant matter they're very opportunistic in their foraging habits so i i think rio grands have like the most diverse diet of any turkey subspecies okay they're super opportunistic they're generalist um i've opened a lot of turkey crops in you know just from hunted harvested birds and you find all kinds of crazy stuff like snakes let's say yeah they truly they eat some herbs as well mm -hmm. yeah they're very they're very open to it i i actually watched a turkey eat tadpoles one time out of a of a water puddle that had dried up and there was like giant bullfrog tadpoles were stuck in it and that turkey just came and just started bam 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 just like eating them like gummy bears (laughs) i mean it was like why why not you know (laughs) it's food for the taking you know, turkeys are, uh, they're a species that, uh, they're so familiar because if you grow up in the hunting community, they're just like, oh, it's a turkey. I mean, we farm mm-hmm. them, we hunt them. Like, but if, you know, if uh, we didn't have the relationship we have with turkeys through hunting and farming and whatever, like if you just saw that species in some foreign landscape somewhere, I mean, there would be <laughs> something like, wow, that's like, it'd be the same effect that. I would, that on me that cassowaries are going to have on me when I go to Australia. Oh like yeah, just large <laughs> bird, you know, dinosaur-like, <laughs> and well, true dinosaurs, I guess. But um, they really, my point is, <laughs> they're they're uh, underappreciated, mm-hmm. you know, by a lot of naturalists, and um, but they're truly incredible birds. And then you got that oscillated turkey. Oh down yeah, in the south. In, that's the the in Mexico further south yep. species. Yucatan. Yeah, yeah. It's an incredible bird. Oh yeah, very very colorful. I mean, 
uh, just so com- it's weird that's even a turkey. Yeah. You know, but they they look so much different in my opinion than like a regular turkey yeah. does. But I mean, so colorful and so uh, charismatic of that mm-hmm. area. But our, our our eastern wild turkeys are they're great too. You know, and then our Rio Grande turkeys are beautiful and uh, fun to watch. Oh yeah. Display and um, I've yet to harvest a turkey myself. But I'd sure like to. Yeah, it really taste really it's, good. It's one of my favorite like forms of hunting is yeah. like sitting fully camouflaged and like out in the open and then calling a bird. Yeah. It's extremely satisfying. And then you can get one talking back and forth with you, gobbling. It's like, you know, that sound is like nothing else. It's yeah. it's and a really gobble. cool. And then you, what usually happens is like you think he's coming from one direction, but then he's like he just pops up right behind <laughs> you, and you can hear him spitting and drumming like, bzzz, and he's oh, you so know. Cool. I mean, and then you're like on, you're really tense and you're like, are oh, he's going to walk out and he's like 10 feet from you. It's like, oh man, that's so cool. I didn't know turkey hunters um, do owl calls to get yeah. them to gobble early. They can, they can get them just to get them talking. That's so weird. Just to know where they are, you know, I mean. And, and how did anybody even learn that? Because they're just putting close an attention owl. and hearing an owl and then a yeah. dark turkey. You hear an owl. I've, I've heard, I've done it before. I've heard it with a great horned owl. He was, and then just they just hit the, it um and then the and turkeys that, turkeys know? just respond to everything it's like you could slam a car door and they're like oh, 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 or, or a cow a cow for sure will get them going i got one um when i was down at el Sol's like uh like a weeks ago I'd, there were turkeys everywhere and um I, I like gobbled with my mouth and it gobbled back oh yeah it's like go, 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 go. <laughs> it was like go, go, go. And they did it right back to me yeah, it's like you're talking to a turkey. Yeah, and like I thought these animals were like really hard to call to and, and stuff. But no, they're, they're pretty responsive. But one thing they are picky about is movement. If they see you, they're gone, right? Oh, yeah, and for sure. really smart. They're, good eyesight. They have extremely good eyesight. Yeah. And it's funny because like photographing between turkeys and deer is kind of different. Mm-hmm. I mean, you use the same setup, but like you could put up a pop-up blind the day of that you plan to photograph a turkey. I mean, they come in, they don't care. They're mm-hmm. just like, oh, it's a new new thing and they walk on um deer though it's like oh my gosh it's something new like we're gonna we're not, we don't trust Ease it for like two slowly. weeks yeah. <laughs> and they take a lot more time to get acclimated to something new in the environment but then like you said turkeys like if they see the slightest movement if they see any kind of like you know you have to be fully camouflaged head neck gloves mm. all that or else they pick up on it yeah. so so much an incredible species um before we end here, uh, do you have any advice for aspiring wildlife photographers or aspiring, um, you know, wildlife biologists? Yeah. Um, take those differently or in the same. Yeah. I'll say um, some of the advice I always give people, especially if they're like, I'll, I'll, I'll break it up. If like you're a young, like high school age person, um, I would recommend getting involved in like a, like a summer camp or like a youth leadership camp, like Texas mm-hmm. Brigades or a conservation camp. Because uh, that's a great opportunity to gain access to uh, talking to biologists and getting a real feel for like what they do on a daily basis. Um, you build your network really well, and then you get the opportunities to like do some uh, really cool activities. Like you learn about radio telemetry, you learn about biology of different species and stuff. But uh, that was something I didn't mention earlier. Brigades, like brigades. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a really big uh, impactful thing for me too because. Yeah. I wish I had known about it sooner, like earlier in my you know young young life, because um, I w- literally went like the last year possible for me to in that age group 
So I was turning 18, and I went to a Bob White Brigade or South Which Texas. Was here? No, that was South Texas. Yeah, it okay. was in South Texas. Okay. Um, so they do some of the brigades here at this ranch, right? Yeah, they do a couple the here ranch, at the Warren Ranch. Um, uh, and I came back, and I was a photographer for several okay. of them. I uh, so I have been here for a brigade, and you know, there's something else, but they're really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, really, really cool. You meet people. I mean, friendships that last forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll and you'll see these people. If you continue in this career of wildlife, you will see them later. Um, So, you know, it's it's a small field uh, and everybody knows everybody. Um, For people that are like college age, you know, if you're in a wildlife program at a university, uh, I would really recommend you um, branch out to get as many experience opportunities as possible. Um, so find your find your student chapter of the Wildlife Society, find a range club, find anything and everything you can and just go for those opportunities to gain experience um, and also networking opportunities. So like going to conferences, talking to people, um, even if it's just like a cold email or, you know, I'm, I'm terrified sometimes to write cold emails and, and just ask questions like people I don't even know. But mm. um, I think that's something that's really valuable, especially like just communicating and just, you know, asking questions and not being afraid to, um, approach people. Uh, it may be intimidating at first, but then you just kind of get used to it. Um, and then like in this field, like you just start to learn everybody, uh, and you're like, Oh, Hey Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it's definitely, uh, uh, definitely the biggest piece of advice I can give is, you know, trying to network and trying to gain experience. Very good, man. Hey, I really appreciate it, Joe. Yeah, yes, sir. Thank you again for having me, and I really appreciate it.